Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, June 27th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Colorado's Club Q shooter is sentenced to life in prison. Wagner leader Prigozhin could reportedly still face charges for mutiny. The conservative New Democracy Party wins a landslide victory in Greece. Indian Prime Minister Modi makes his first trip to Cairo. The Supreme Court unfreezes a Louisiana redistricting case. Governments are advised to cut public spending or raise taxes to curb inflation. The United Kingdom's Prince William launches a homelessness project. Virgin Galactic names the crew for its first commercial spaceflight. Fox News names a replacement for Tucker Carlson. And an error in a UK weight loss tool makes people fatter. In our top story, the Club Q shooter is sentenced to life in prison. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, PBS NewsHour, and Fox News. After pleading guilty to murder and attempted murder, 23-year-old Anderson Lee Aldrich, who shot up the Club Q nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado last year, killing five and injuring another 17, was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole on Monday. Aldrich, who identifies as non-binary, told the judge that they intentionally and after deliberation caused the death of each victim. Aldrich, who also pleaded no contest to felony and misdemeanor charges of bias-motivated crimes, admitted in an interview from jail that they were on a very large plethora of drugs and abusing steroids at the time, suggesting the attack was not motivated by hate. District Attorney Michael Allen said the evidence suggests Aldrich planned the attack for months, citing the evasion of weapons background checks and communicating a hatred for minorities and those in the LGBTQ community. The shooting came after Aldrich, who carried two firearms during the shooting, including a rifle, was previously arrested in 2021 after his mother reported him for allegedly threatening her with a homemade bomb. However, no explosives were found and no charges were pursued. Terrifying facts, Eric. We have a Democratic narrative on this story from Business Insider. Republicans should be able to connect the dots between their dangerous rhetoric and targeted mass shootings. Donald Trump's anti-Latino rants came before the deadliest anti-Latino shooting in U.S. history. And then, following the party's anti-LGBTQ campaign, there was a deadly shooting at a gay club. Thoughts and prayers aren't good enough and don't excuse the rhetoric that helps cause these events. Daily Wire brings us the Republican narrative for this story. When an LGBTQ community is targeted, outcries from Democrats inevitably follow. Yet, while the party in charge of the country's most crime-ridden cities unashamedly blames Republicans for a mass shooting, Democrats stay silent when dozens of people are murdered weekly in their jurisdictions. They care about human lives when it's politically convenient, but not when their own constituents are the victims. Eric, we take great pains on this show to be uh, non-biased, and I know that you know society has advanced in a lot of ways. You know, making different classifications less offensive to certain groups, but I don't know the bias-motivated incident. I'm sorry if we've offended any hate crime uh, committers, but that's <laughs> way down on my list. Way, like, like really far down on my list. Yeah, for all of our hate crime committer uh, listeners, you know, for, yeah, and we have a lot of them. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's no offense that's here. A big okay? part of our audience. It's, yes. it's, none, it's, it's, none, it's nothing personal. Yeah. <laughs> 
Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now, back to the news. News from Russia. Sources say the criminal case into Prigozhin is still open. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC News, TASS, the Associated Press, and Reuters. On Monday, following a tumultuous 48 hours in Russia, official sources quoted by Russian media said that the criminal case against Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of the Russian mercenary force Wagner PMC, remains ongoing despite attempts made over the weekend that charges against him would be dropped. Prigozhin, who started off as an ex-convict with a hot dog stand, before starting a successful restaurant business, played a significant role in Russia's invasion of Ukraine after founding the Wagner private military company in 2014. Wagner forces were largely credited for the Russian capture of Bakhmut in May, taking Donetsk City after many months of intense fighting. However, Prigozhin's relationship with Russia's military leaders has often been plagued with difficulties, with the Wagner boss repeatedly airing his scathing criticisms publicly, unprecedented for Russia's tightly controlled political system. Those tensions erupted over the weekend when Prigozhin said he and his hired guns had left Ukraine for Russia soon taking control of a military base in Rostov-on-Don. There, Prigozhin called for the ouster of Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu before continuing his forces march on the capital, sparking Moscow to seal the perimeter and launch a counterterrorism operation. However, in an apparent deal to defuse the crisis on Saturday, Prigozhin agreed to be exiled in Belarus. His forces were soon seen leaving their positions in Rostov-on-Don. As part of that deal, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said that Prigozhin's criminal case on charges of launching an armed mutiny would be dropped and that Wagner fighters who took part in the so-called March for Justice would not be punished. However, one source told Russian media on Monday, the criminal case against Prigozhin has not been closed. The investigation is continuing. Meanwhile, Russia's defense ministry on Monday released video footage of Shoigu, the defense minister whom Prigozhin called on to be sacked. He was seen visiting Russian troops in Ukraine but did not address Prigozhin's actions or demands. Russian military bloggers speculated that the reason for this could be that Shoigu's visit to troops preceded the actions over the weekend, but this could not be independently confirmed. Scott, thanks for those facts. As we look at the first spin, it is a pro-establishment narrative coming from The Guardian. Although this rebellion was short-lived, the events of the past weekend have no doubt diminished how Russia views Vladimir Putin. Now, his grip on the country has never been more in question, and the vast consequences of this rebellion are only starting to play out. And the pro-Russia narrative comes from TASS. This is a uniquely important time for Russia. It is not only entangled in an all-out war with the collective West, there's an economic and information war, too. Russia must not be divided at this time. It must stand up squarely to the challenges and threats it's facing. The Metaculous Prediction community are giving us a nerd narrative saying there's a 50% chance that Vladimir Putin will cease to hold the office of president of Russia by November of 2025. I'll tell you what, Eric, I take a couple days off and, and kind of lose focus on the news. And I all of a sudden, Russia's on the verge of collapse and now, and now it's back. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I feel like I missed a lot. In a, in a few hours. <laughs> Just wait five minutes, it'll change again. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> News from Greece as the new democracy party wins a landslide victory. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, The Greek Reporter, Euro News, Associated Press, ABC News, and CNN. Greece's reformist Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis secured a second four-year term on Sunday after his conservative New Democracy 
ND party won a landslide in repeat parliamentary elections. With most votes counted, the center-right party won just over 40% of the vote, giving it 158 seats in the 300-seat parliament, while Alex Cyprus's left-wing Syriza party received barely 18% of the vote. PASOK came in third with about 12%, followed by the Communist Party with almost 8%. It was the second parliamentary election in Greece within five weeks, after Mitsotakis's new democracy won the initial legislative elections in May, but failed to secure an absolute majority due to the system of proportional representation. After Sunday's win, Mitsotakis, who had campaigned on ensuring economic growth and political stability, pledged to speed up reforms to increase salaries and reduce inequality along with establishing better and free public health care. Meanwhile, Cyprus, who served as prime minister from 2015 to 2019, conceded defeat and said he believed the election result was, quote, mainly negative for society and for democracy, referring to the entry of three small, far-right parties into parliament. In an unexpected development, the new and deeply anti-migration Spartans party with ties to the neo-Nazi Golden Dawn, the Nationalist Party Greek Solution, and the ultra-religious Niki Party also succeeded on Sunday in surpassing the 3% threshold for entry into parliament. We have a conservative narrative on this story from The Guardian. The triumph of new democracy over Syriza shows that Greek voters want to continue the country's economic recovery course, which Prime Minister Mitsotakis successfully initiated during his first term in office. After the country's traumatic financial crisis, Mitsotakis proved that the Greek state apparatus is not reform-resistant, reduced unemployment, lowered taxes, and attracted foreign investment. Voters have good reason to trust that the liberal reformist will continue the Greek success story with a strong electoral mandate behind him. The left narrative comes from Neos Cosmos. New Democracy's victory was to be expected given the fragmentation of the left-wing political spectrum. What makes the elections worrisome, however, is the entry of three xenophobic far-right parties into the Greek parliament. While the left will need time to recover, Greece is following the right-wing trend in other Western European countries, particularly about social policy, social and civil rights, immigration, and perhaps foreign policy. There is every reason to be concerned about the conservative government's future course. Eric, in a world where it seems like even the things that we thought were healthy aren't healthy anymore. I mean, eat fish, it's good for you. Oh, you can't. There's mercury. Eat this, eat that. Olive oil seems to have stood the test of time. That's a healthy fat still in my mind. Right. So, <laughs> so what's your point? <laughs> so are you saying you like the, do you like the extra virgin? The right tool for the right job. If you're frying up, you know, a, a, a chicken milanese or something, I think that virgin is good. But, you know, anytime you're dipping breads, anytime you're eating it by itself, salad dressing, extra virgin ear, the better in my mind. <laughs> Egypt and India bolster ties as Modi makes his first Cairo trip. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Hindu, Associated Press, ABC News, DW, and Al Jazeera. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi traveled to Egypt over the weekend to meet Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi in Cairo for a rare visit, during which both sides pledged to deepen ties and signed a joint declaration to elevate relations to a strategic partnership. Modi said that he hopes India, Egypt's seventh largest trading partner, with $7 billion in trade last year, will increase its trade with Egypt to $12 billion annually. Before the visit, Egypt offered a potential dedicated land area for Indian industries in the Suez Canal economic zone. Egyptian Prime Minister Mustafa Malboldi welcomed Modi after he finished a four-day trip to the U.S. as the two inspected an honor guard and listened to the national anthems. 
with Modi thanking Malbodi on Twitter. This is an Indian Prime Minister's first visit to Egypt since 1997. Modi also visited the Pyramid of Giza and the historic Al-Hakim Mosque in Cairo, which was recently renovated with the help of the India-based Dawoodi Bara community. Modi also paid tribute to Indian soldiers who died in World War I and are buried in the Heliopolis War Cemetery. In a special gesture, Sisi bestowed Modi with the Order of the Nile, the highest state honor of Egypt, three memoranda of understanding in the fields of agriculture, archaeology, and antiquities, and competition law were also signed. Multilateral cooperation at the G20, which Egypt is attending as a guest country in September, and other topics like energy, food, and climate change were also discussed. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. We have our first spin. It is Narrative A coming from Egypt Independent. Modi's visit to Egypt was a timely gesture to mark the country's growing ties. Egypt and India are both facing similar obstacles, and both Modi and Sisi have had similar tracks in politics. The Indian-Egyptian relationship will reap positive benefits for both countries, as the warm reception Modi received has shown the mutual desire for growth and cooperation. World Socialist website brings us near to B. Besides the fact that Egypt is a repressive dictatorship under Sisi, it is poorly run and its economic prospects are only going down. Inflation has been raging as food prices skyrocket. Sisi has been making desperate moves to fix the nightmare he has created, such as looking for foreign investment. However, the writing is on the wall. The future of Egypt under Sisi is not bright and no amount of photo ops with Modi can change that. The Supreme Court unfreezes the Louisiana redistricting case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, CNN, and Washington Post. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court lifted its hold on a case that could force Louisiana to redraw its congressional districts and provide more voting power to black people. The removal of the freeze on Robinson v. Ardoin comes weeks after the court similarly rejected a congressional map in Alabama. Previously, Judge Shelley Dick ruled the Louisiana congressional map likely violated the Voting Rights Act and was considering a remedial congressional plan after lawmakers refused to draw a second-majority black district. At the time of the Supreme Court freeze more than one year ago, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals was preparing for an expedited review of Dick's ruling. Though Louisiana and Alabama are about one-third and more than a quarter black, respectively, each state has one congressional district where black people are the majority. The appeal will go through lower courts and eventually to the high court ahead of the 2024 congressional elections. All right, we have some contentious political narratives on this story. The New York Times brings us the Democratic spin. These rulings finally bring the electorate into alignment with statewide racial demographics. Black people in states with large minority populations have been underrepresented for far too long, especially in southern states. It's time for congressional maps to represent racial reality. The Republican narrative is coming from the hayride. The Supreme Court is setting a dangerous precedent by allowing Democrat-appointed federal judges to override the constitutional authority of state legislatures to draw district maps. This continues a trend of states being kneecapped by unelected judges to the point where they can no longer decide how their states are governed or how their elections are run. A prominent bank claims that governments must slash spending or raise taxes to fight inflation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Bloomberg News, Business News, The Guardian, and The Business Recorder. To fight inflation, Western economies must raise taxes or cut public spending, said the Basel, Switzerland-based Bank of International Settlements, or BIS, on Sunday, which advises some 60-plus central banks. Often referred to as the Central Bank of Central Banks, 
Biz said in its annual report that policy rates must continue to remain to curb inflation. The warning comes as extremely high inflation forced the Bank of England to its 13th consecutive increase, raising interest rates by 50 basis points to 5%. Biz warned governments that a tight labor market and persistently more expensive services create a material risk that an inflation psychology will take hold, where wage increases are linked to potential price increases. Biz said in a statement that many governments and central banks had been slow in their response to fighting inflation. Biz urged governments to stay the challenging course in this effort. The bank said the fiscal policy must consolidate and help tackle both near-term and longer-term challenges to retain public faith in economic management. The privileged powers of fiscal and monetary policy ultimately depend on an implicit social contract underpinned by trust in the state, the Biz said. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Biz. Central banks have kept interest rates too low for too long, despite the efforts of higher inflation. The Bank of International Settlements says the solution is to tame inflation by having governments close the gap between government income and expenditure by raising taxes or cutting public spending. This is a responsible public sector approach to tackling the inflation conundrum. And slow boring brings us narrative B. Interest rate hikes have become a central bank's preferred measure for fighting inflation, mostly because that's what central banks have the authority to do. However, there is a strong argument that raising taxes is actually a superior anti-inflationary tool, one that would slow inflation more directly and predictably. This isn't the best news for governments in the neoliberal world order, but may be the panacea for the inflation sickening the global economy. Metaculous Prediction Community is giving us a nerd narrative as well. They say there's a 50% chance that the annual inflation in the Eurozone for 2023 will be at least 6.69%. News coming from the UK as Prince William launches a homelessness project. And here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Sky News, ITV News, and LBC. Prince William has launched a five-year project to reduce homelessness in the UK. The project, called Homewards, comes as approximately 300,000 people, with nearly half being children, find themselves homeless each night in the UK. The project is aimed at bringing together organizations and individuals to form local solutions to homelessness. While acknowledging that the issue was a, quote, big task, Prince William cited Finland as evidence that a solution for homelessness could be found, and homelessness could be reduced to being a, quote, rare, brief, and unrepeated experience. Homewards will be funded by the Prince's Royal Foundation, which will be donating three million pounds or 3.8 million US dollars towards the project. The project will focus on six areas of the UK over the next five years to create practical solutions that can later be applied to all areas of the country. An Ipsos survey commissioned by the Royal Foundation in May this year found that 72% of the over 3,400 adults questioned believed homelessness has become more severe in the last 12 months with 73% saying that the issue wasn't given enough societal attention. Each location of focus will receive up to £500 million, or $636 million of funding, to allow them to deliver an action plan created in conjunction with local homelessness organizations and an independent research partner. National charities will be involved as sector partners, as well as those with lived experience in homelessness or extensive background in the sector. The Independent brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Although some questions have been raised over a potential overstepping into politics, the Prince of Wales project will inevitably sit well within the Overton window of acceptability by the public. 
At the heart of the plan is a good man with a sense of duty wishing to give back to the UK. It is only right to wish anyone who is aiming at making such an impact on society luck in their endeavors. And the establishment critical narrative is coming from the Thager. William's project is yet another example of the fundamental issues with British society. Although William is right to state homelessness should not exist in the UK, there's a deep sense of irony with the message coming from the voice of a billionaire prince who receives the British public's money. The UK could, if they wanted to, already eradicate the issue in a heartbeat. The sad reality is that the establishment and its status quo hold little interest in eradicating poverty. And we have another nerd narrative from the community at Metaculus. They predict that there's a 61% chance that at least 1% of Great Britain will be under a monarchy by 2075. Virgin Galactic names the crew for its first commercial space flight. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, Space News, Barons, and Hype Beast. On Monday, Virgin Galactic announced the crew for the company's first commercial space flight, Galactic 01, which is set to launch this week. Colonel Walter Viaday and Lieutenant Colonel Angelo Landolfi of the Italian Air Force, Pantaleone Carlucci, an engineer from the National Research Council of Italy, and Virgin Galactic astronaut Colin Bennett will be aboard the VSS Unity on June 29th. After departing from Spaceport America in New Mexico, the Galactic 01 crew will conduct 13 experiments before, during, and after the flight. They will measure cosmic radiation, test the effects of microgravity on fluids and combustion, and collect medical data. Shares in Virgin Galactic were up about 0.1% Monday after declining about 10% in the past week. The stock had increased 30% over the past month in anticipation of the end of the three-year wait for a commercial flight. Virgin Galactic is looking forward to opening its flights to tourists in the near future, as it currently has 800 people who are willing to pay up to $450,000 per flight on a waitlist. The cash-strapped company also sold $300 million of stock in August 2022 and announced plans to sell another $400 million of stock in a deal with Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs for development of its spaceship fleet and infrastructure to scale its commercial operations and for general corporate purposes. Our first spin for this story is Narrative A, coming from USA Today. Virgin Galactic's commercial flights are the obvious next step in the adventure tourism industry, even considering the OceanGate submersible disaster. Although regulation is limited, Virgin and similar companies have done their best to assure safety. And Narrative B from Space.com. The OceanGate tragedy should be a lesson to the commercial space industry, which needs more safety regulations. There's plenty of room to simultaneously regulate the industry and nurture innovation. We shouldn't wait for a space travel tragedy before increasing government oversight. The Metaculous Prediction community once again gives us a nerd narrative. They say there's a 64% chance that Virgin Galactic will file for bankruptcy protection before 2026. With my luck, they would file for bankruptcy while I was up in space. Absolutely. You know what? You're right. <laughs> I would try to land and they'd, no one would answer. You know, so, we're, yeah. hey, we're coming in for a landing. What, 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 do, what do you advise? What's yeah. tower control? It's now a Walmart. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. So I got good news and bad news. The, the bad news is we're closed and you can't land. The good news is we have rolled back prices. Exactly. <laughs> Fox names Jesse Waters as Tucker Carlson's replacement. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNBC, Axios, BBC News, NBC, the Arizona Republic, and Breitbart. 
Two months after firing its most popular host, Fox News announced that Jesse Waters will replace Tucker Carlson in the 8 p.m. Eastern primetime slot as the cable news giant looks to recapture viewers who have left in droves following Carlson's departure. Starting July 17th, Waters will move from the 7 p.m. Eastern slot, which Laura Ingram will host, while Greg Gutfield's show will slide up an hour from 11 p.m. to 10 p.m., replacing Ingram. Sean Hannity will remain the 9 p.m. host, while Fox News at night, with Trace Gallagher, moves from midnight to 11. Waters has ascended through Fox's ranks since starting as a production assistant in 2002, becoming one of the network's most popular personalities. He will look to regain Fox's dominance in the 8 p.m. slot, in which Carlson drew 3 million nightly viewers and led all of cable news for 120 consecutive weeks. Waters has been popular in his own right, drawing 2.6 million viewers per night at 7 p.m., while frequently appearing on Fox's The Five. Like Carlson, Waters has drawn criticism for his conservative rhetoric. Despite his massive popularity, Fox fired Carlson in April after settling a defamation lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems for $787.5 million. Fox has said that the move was not related to the settlement, as the sides have been relatively hush regarding the situation. While Fox's primetime viewership dropped by nearly a third the month after his ousting, Carlson has launched a new show on Twitter, with his first episode garnering more than 100 million views. He has so far released six episodes on the social media platform. All right, Fox News itself brings us the Republican narrative. Jesse Waters is a bona fide star as a primetime show host, and his move to the 8 p.m. slot will allow him to shine even brighter along the rest of Fox's renowned on-air talent. Fox News has been the leading cable news network for decades, earning the trust of millions. This is why Fox chose to reorganize its primetime lineup from within, allowing viewers to continue enjoying their favorite personalities. AZ Central gives us the Democratic narrative. Fox News may have done away with one far-right conspiracy theorist in Tucker Carlson, but to no one's surprise, they replaced him with another right-wing fanatic who will use his platform to spread dangerous misinformation. While Carlson was a reckless peddler of dangerous ideas, Waters is even worse. Fox has no shame pandering to its rabid base, as its airwaves continue to be filled with racist, homophobic, and anti-science messages. And we have a conservative narrative from TimCast. While Waters is an entertaining character with solid conservative bona fides, he can't replace what Tucker Carlson brought to Fox. Carlson was the most popular news host and continues to attract hundreds of millions of views on Twitter because he speaks on topics the American establishment has worked so hard to hide. Fox is part of the corrupt media establishment, and no one at airs can match Carlson's fire. Fox is uh, is moving that Gutfeld show. He's has gotten a lot of mileage lately. I think he even wrote a book recently called The King of Late Night because he gets the highest ratings even over, you know, the the Jimmy Kimmel's and Stephen yeah, Colbert's and Yeah, such. he is the highest rated so, late show. You're right. Yeah. So to move him out of late night, the main thing that that does, he can't say he's the king of late night anymore. No. He's not in late night. No. So that, that, that kind of hurts. It I does. Want that. I want that crown. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but he may be the king of primetime now. Well, That's, there could they, be. <laughs> that may be even better. Be. Too. Yeah, yeah, you can have two crowns. Yeah. And then he can always say, like, I'm really still the champion of late night. I just chose not to defend my crown. You know, I retired yeah. as champion. Mm-hmm. So that, that's something, too. <laughs> Our final story, Britain's BMI calculator caused excess consumption. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by The Telegraph, the National Health Service of the UK, The Lancet, Fingertips, and The Guardian. The Telegraph reported over the weekend that Britain's National Health Service, or NHS, 
body mass index calculator has misled overweight people to eat hundreds of excess calories per day since 2018, a scale that could have put on roughly 35 pounds, that's 15 kilogram or 2.5 stone a year on some people. The BMI is a measure that uses both height and weight to find out if someone's weight is healthy. It divides an adult's weight in kilograms by their height in meters squared. The healthy weight ranges from 18.5 to 24.9. The toll, which was accessed 22 million times last year alone, but quietly removed from the website this month, reportedly overestimated the calorie-burning impact of very small increases in activity levels. The Lancet in March found that the BMI calculator offered inaccurate physical activity levels too, with, quote, moderately active and active, deemed to be 30 to 60 minutes, and 60 to 150 minutes per week respectively, despite the official guidelines recommending that adults engage in at least 150 minutes of moderate activity or 75 minutes of vigorous activity each week. The Office for Health Improvement and Disparities reports that about two-thirds of adults in England are above a healthy weight, half of them living with obesity, adding that one-third of children leaving primary school are overweight, with a fifth living with obesity. Last month, researchers at the European Congress on Obesity presented a study claiming that obese patients cost the NHS twice as much as patients with healthy weight based on health records of 2.4 million adults in northwest London. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is a right narrative coming from The Telegraph. This is yet more blatant evidence of public sector incompetence. But the people who keep urging London to expand the nanny state and further meddle in our lives keep pressing on. While obesity is undeniably a problem, Britons should take responsibility for their own actions instead of relying on government bureaucrats. And the left narrative comes from The Guardian. Amid fears of facing backlash for interfering in people's diet choices, the UK government over the past decades has failed to tackle the obesity crisis in the country as they favored individual responsibility rather than systemic interventions. Given that this is clearly not working, politicians must be brave and follow the successful actions taken to curb smoking. This is a matter of calibrating the approach. Our final nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community says there's a 31% chance that any OECD country will achieve a 10% or greater reduction in the national rate of obesity for three consecutive years before 2030. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.